In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. There's yep. no surefire ways to maturity, and the world lies and says it's quick, it's cheap, and it's easy. Masculine initiation is not on sale. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we salute you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos, your host for today's show. Guys, I'm super excited about today's interview because within the contents of his book i discovered one of the most powerful chapters i've read in a long time and so we're going to focus on that chapter of this book uh, this guy sat under john eldridge at wild heart for the last 20 years working side by side with him you're going to really love this interview today guys hey but also i want to say thank you for making the men in the arena podcast the number one christian podcast for men on Spotify. Because of you, that has happened. We're super excited about that, guys. Guys, for this episode, I want to jump into the man law. And the man laws are provided by you, our heroes. And whenever we use your man law, we will uh, send you some swag if you hit us up on our website with your physical address. This man law is from Sanj Mansukani. I hope I said that right. Sanj Mansukani. If If I'm wrong, please let me know, Sanj. He says, if she says, Do whatever you want, or it's fine. Stop. Don't do it. It's not okay. You should be afraid. And I'm going to add this, Sanj. If you can tell your wife is visibly upset and you ask her what's wrong and she says nothing, guys, listen, that means you are in deep trouble. Go outside. You're already in the doghouse. Just go get there right now. So, hey, thanks for that man law, Saj. That was uh, that was awesome. Really appreciate that. And this week's hero story is going to be a little bit different. Normally, I like to share stories about you and how God is using you to bring victory for those around you. You know, when you get it, guys, everyone wins. But this is going to be a little bit different. I had a situation about a week ago where my digital marketing consultant approached me and she said, hey, congratulations, your TikTok video is viral. In fact, in the last two weeks, we've had three videos go viral. And I, I looked at her and I go, oh, that's cool. Uh, I didn't know I had TikTok. And so I didn't even know I had TikTok, but she's been putting videos on our tic- on a TikTok account. 
and it's gone. I've had several that apparently have gone viral. And so the cool part about all of that is we recently, because those videos had a, one of our largest spikes ever in podcast downloads, and it came back to those TikTok videos. And I don't even have an account. Well, apparently I do, but I don't know how to access it. I don't use it. The app's not on my phone. So it's just another miracle. And it's just another way that God is taking care of this ministry as we approach our 10th year anniversary. Hey guys, I'm really excited to bring our guest on today, Morgan Snyder. He's 45 years old. He's been married to his beautiful wife, Sherry, for the last 20 years. They live together in Colorado Springs. Morgan is the founder of Become Good Soil, the comprehensive apprenticeship track of Wild at Heart, where he serves on the executive leadership team. Morgan's worked alongside John and Stacy Eldridge at Wild at Heart for more than two decades, and he's the author of Becoming a King, The Path to Restoring the Heart of Man, which is our subject for today. Morgan, it's great to have you on the show, man. Can you take a minute and tell us a little bit more about yourself, uh, your story, the things you love, the last time you shot an elk, you know, whatever. Jim, thank you so much. And Dale running all the tech, really an honor to be with you guys. And I love this. I love being in a context of men who are thirsty, who are going after the deepest things, willing to risk and it's a joy to be here. Thank you. I would say that um, I've always had a deep intensity and an adventurous spirit, um, but I was raised in a culture that now I could name as emasculating. And I didn't know it at the time, but I think to name anything for the men that are with us on this show, I think I'd name this. I had a radical kind of transformation to God in college where I really gave my trust and confidence over to him. But what I realized was I was still a boy on the inside. So my faith developed, but I was a man on the outside and a boy on the inside. And again, it's taken decades to name it. And so really to understand the narrative arc of my life and what I believe is intended to be the narrative arc and the interpretive grid for every man is the story of his masculine initiation shepherded by God into wholeheartedness and maturity. And so really um, something like elk hunting, you know, I grew up in a, in a suburban world playing golf and, and, and I had a longing for wilderness, but I didn't have an on-ramp. And it wasn't until I realized that was the epicenter of my faith journey that I started asking, what does it look like to ask God to father me, to initiate the unfathered, immature places of the boy inside the man and allow Jesus to come and walk me through an apprenticeship program. So really every story of hunting, for example, it's not a caricature. It's actually a context for the boy to become more of a man. So that's my mm -hmm. heartbeat. I love um, going after God's heart and responding to his to just a life in him. My wife is the core epicenter of what makes me come alive. My children, Joshua and Abigail. And from that place, what I have left, I go after the hearts of men um, with as much uh, energy as I can. Yeah, that's really good, man. You know, when, you, when you're talking, a lot of John's stuff resonated from your heart. I've read uh, his book five times, I think. And, I, I, you know, in that book, he says, while at heart, he said that God made man in the wild and then moved him into the garden. Yes. And so that longing heart for adventure, uh, I hear that in you. It's it's really fun to listen. So, 
Hey, what I want to do, man, is I want to throw you into our rapid fire round. Okay. And I'm going to ask you about four or five phrases or words from your book. And I just want you to explain them. We may not cover them in the course of the podcast, but they're important enough. And you've already alluded to the first one that I just want to walk through a little bit. Okay. So yes. the first word, the first phrase is the false self. And here on page 33, you said the false self, the part of me that pursues a self-sufficient life and leads to death. So can you explain this false self and, and what you mean by this? Sure. How do I make life work apart from God? Hmm. You see, we were designed for dependency. It's actually strength through dependency. And you look at the need for breath and food and rest, and immediately a man is not a self-sufficient being. And so the question is, who have I become? Hmm. And who am I becoming? Those are the central questions to masculine initiation. And so the false self is simply the architecture of what I offer to the world to answer my question. I take my question to the world. Am I a real man? Do I have what it takes? Rather than receiving true identity, my true self, knowing who I am in God, and then offering that to the world in courage and love. Yeah, that's really good. And you you wrote in your book on page 36, most of what you meet when you meet a man in his is his false self, his version of Adam's fig leaf. And and you continued, you said our false self provides an illusion of what we can make life work apart from God. So it's that part of us that's not connected to Jesus. Where the true and how would you how how would you couple that with the true self? Right. Well, I would just say, where are you hiding? Or another way to get to it, Jim, is where do you feel insufficient as a man? In other words, this situation uh, requires mm -hmm. what I think is masculinity. And here uh -huh. I feel insufficient. And so I know we'll get into some more depth, but the contrast is God designed us to live actually breathe and exist in partnership with him. He's meant to be this, um, this fuel, this reservoir that's unending. That's what John says in the, in the first chapter, that we're to have a wellspring of life. And that's why we're meant to guard our heart above all else, because it is the wellspring of life. It's not a self-sufficient heart, but it's a true heart. And so when I mature, when I dismantle the false, the life that I've created apart from God, my posing, my fig leaf, my true self is how I offer the life of God to the world. And so, Jim, what I believe wholeheartedly is we can be authentic 100% in every interaction. That's what we see with Jesus. It's just trueness. An example of the true self, when you see Jesus, like he was able to offer and receive to women with sexual integrity, not yep. needing anything from them. It blows my mind that he could offer intimacy, vulnerability, authenticity without having a need because he had a vast reservoir of nourishment, comfort, robust well-being from the inside. And so when we are living out of our true self, we can actually tune into the voice of God and ask the question, what's needed here? When my false self has to have something to say, the Spirit of God may say, I'm asking you not to say anything. When my false self is terrified and doesn't want to speak, 
my true self in Christ may say, it's time to offer your words. And so it's mm. truly walking into the authentic self. Yeah, I appreciate that. Along the same line is the Greek word sozo. Can you explain your understanding of that word? Yeah, it's just the, um, what I would say to get to the heart of it is we are spiritual in a manifested, in a world of matter. Okay, we are spiritual beings. You have a soul and you are a soul. That's what Dallas Willard says that I just love it. He goes, a better way to say it than you have a soul is you are a soul. And so, Jim, this is what's so important for our listeners. You will be a man forever. Not just for a decade, not just for a lifetime, but the Imago Dei, God incarnate is expressed as man and as woman. There's something God wants to say to the world about his self through that gender, and you will be a soul mm. forever. And so now if you think about that, now our bodies are the temple and it's essential to care for them because that's how we bring forth the spiritual being that we are. But if you are going to live forever, exist forever as a man, then this question of masculinity is central. And to get to, to kind of full wrap on your question, that soul is not self-existing or self-sufficient. It's designed to live on the fuel of God as a car lives on gasoline. It, it does not run. You can have a Lamborghini or a sweet F-350, but it doesn't work without fuel. The masculine soul is designed to live on the fuel of God. And so how is your reservoir? How is your tank? Creation began with a kiss, the breath of heaven breathing into the soul of the man and of the woman. And so it's really important, though they're big ideas in the most practical sense of how we live our ordinary life. It's one thing to say we have a, a faith in God. It's another to actually live relying, dependent on his sustenance to make us live in the impossible become possible. Well, I love what you said. You said the masculine soul is designed to live on the fuel of God. And, and when I look at the word sozo, in your book, you were very clear on this. I thought it was really, really interesting. You know, when Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that was, which was lost, he didn't mean just salvation. He meant salvation of the whole man, the whole exactly. man. Okay. Right. And, and, and it's a process of maturity. One of the things we've lost profoundly in our culture is a, a roadmap for the masculine soul to mature. Now, you just think about this for a moment. Jesus was immature at one point, and yet he was without sin. So he's 12. We have a great story about it. He's in the temple, mm -hmm. and he's gone. Like, his mom can't find him for three days. You find me a mom that has a 12-year-old son, and she can't find him. She's freaking out. And now she finds him, and the story in the scriptures is, oh, he was teaching with the wise ones in the temples. But what it never addresses is, why didn't he say anything to his mom? Why was he so selfish? In other mm. words, he was thinking of self. Now, here's what's important. If we know he's without sin, he was doing exactly what a 12-year-old is capable of doing. He hasn't been fully through his process of initiation. And so it wasn't sin of his lack of awareness of his mom's well-being. It was actually immaturity. And that's actually immensely 
hopeful because if Jesus had to hear the voice of the Father, if Jesus had to go through 30 years of doing family and working with his hands and being apprenticed by older men all before three years of mission, if Jesus needed to mature, how much more do we need to take very seriously the path and process of becoming whole? I really appreciate that. I never thought of the maturing process of Jesus. You know, you see that and your brain goes, okay, I know he didn't sin, but something went wrong here three days without his parents and or telling them where he went. What's going on here? And I've never identified it as much immaturity, but that is exactly what it is. So exactly. I really appreciate that. So so along that line, and I hope I pronounce this word right, but it's poima, poima. Yeah. How, well, yeah. how would you define that word in the context of this story? Yeah, poema is um, the best way to define it for me. I was backpacking in college and I had just given my life over to God and I was addicted. I was addicted to women and leadership. That's where in my false self, I went to feel good as a man for many years in my youth, right? It's where I got my question answered. And like any addiction, it's never enough. And so I gave that part of my heart to God and I had to detox. I had to eject from my world. So I left with a backpack and went to Europe. And I found myself in Italy, in Rome, in St. Peter's, in front of um, the Pieta, this beautiful carving. Yeah. Right, a single marble of Mary holding the broken dead body of her son. And it's a masterpiece. It's literally, I, I was listening to this tour guide and they said that as it was carved, the artist was sculpting and hammering and chiseling. And he said, I saw in this stone the picture of Mary and Jesus and I just had to let them loose. I had to bring them forth to the world. It was a masterpiece. And here's the idea is that every human being, the most important thing we can know about any and every human being, as Dallas Willard says, is we bear the image of God first in our gender. And so mm -hmm. it's very important to know that Jim will be a man for eternity. And then second, as Jim, as yep. Dale, as Morgan. And there's something very unique that God's wanting to bring to the world to say to offer about himself that he will bring through each person that he doesn't bring through any other person. And so this is a profound place of intimacy where it goes from just a set of theology or creedal statements to an actual loving relationship. It's a love language. He cultivates a love language to say, I see who you are. There's something unique. You are my masterpiece. And that's what hell hates the most about us, that intimacy with God in that poema, in that uniqueness, that expression of God. And so that's what we're after is what did God mean when he meant you? And we want to recover that uniqueness. That is so good, man. Yeah, that, you know, when Michelangelo was sculpting that, you know, he's known for the statue of David, but to, in my opinion, the Pieta is the most beautiful of all his works it's just it, it, you just have to see it you know it's really funny when you're talking i was mentioned i was thinking about my peloton instructors and they they love to say this through the screen a month after they've already recorded the class i see you i see yes. you and i'm like you don't see crud dude girl whatever but right. god sees me god so is Jim, the only let me, one 
let me ask you, when that recording comes on that you know is a month old, what is its effect when you actually allow it to be true from the heart of God, right? In that moment, you're on the spinning bike. What happens when you hear those words? Well, first I laugh because I know they're false on that end. Yep, yep. But, but I realize there's only one person who really knows me. And this is what I want men to understand. And I've been saying this. This is my man theology, Morgan. A man has to understand that he can never become that Pieta, that best version of himself, unless he radically surrenders his life to the only one who truly knows him. How can you yes. live out your purpose in life without radical devotion to the one who created you. I just, totally. I don't understand why guys don't get this part. Right. But, and believing is seeing. We often think seeing is believing, but we see things not as they are, but as we are. So Jonathan Helser is a mentor of mine, a brilliant worship leader. He came out with a new song released last month called I'm Your Beloved. And the, the, the power of it is in this one prophetic sentence where he says, and this every man, I just invite them to receive this into their soul. The one who knows me best mm. is the one who loves me most. Yes. That is a radical reorientation. The one who knows me best is the one who loves me most. And so the enemy wants to keep us pinned down in shame because our sins are real. Like every one of us has caused harm to some of those entrusted to our care. But Jim, here's the promise of the gospel and the truth of Imago Dei and Poyama. That's not the deepest thing. The deepest thing is the image bearing. The deepest thing is Imago Dei. And so deeper yeah. than any sin, any brokenness, any failure is you are God's son. And he relates to the person we are and have yet to become. The one who knows you best is the one who loves you most. Yeah, that's really cool, man. Well, let's let's move into the actual the guts of the book a little bit. So this book sure. is Becoming a King. So when I held this book, I was like, this is an interesting title. Can you share with us the premise of the book and why you wrote it? Sure. I think it started with passion and pain in my own personal story. And there's a lot to unpack there, but what I would name for this moment is we all have a kingdom. Every man and every woman has a realm entrusted to our care. It's where we have say. It's where what we want done is done. I chose what I am wearing today. It was my choice. And I chose what I ate for breakfast. My son was given a iPhone when he turned 13. He was one of the last in his whole group. And it was a moment of really mixed feelings, Jim. And one was sadness and the other was excitement. And I had to really listen into my soul and say, what's going on in my heart as a man? And mm. the sadness was, this was the first time my son, my oldest child, his kingdom was going to expand beyond my borders where I could really control it. He's going to access the world through this device. He will have power leveraged, right? Albert Einstein said technology is like the razor blade in a hand mm. of a three-year-old. And I could, Jim, I feel like I just felt a genuine sorrow of the power being entrusted to him. But here's the other part that was so cool is he was ready. He was on time for this. We prayed over it. And I said, son, 
This tool comes with great power and with great power, great responsibility. And here's what I want to say. You're ready for this. You are on time and you will make mistakes. And mm -hmm. the best place for you to make mistakes is in your father's house. And so as you practice and play and try this out to rule and reign over this device, your kingdom is expanding. This is on time. You're ready for it. And as you fail, as we will fail together and we'll grow through it and become more mature. And we prayed and we consecrated it. And so it's an example of ruling and reigning. And that is our destiny, not only in this world, but the one to come. But what's so important about this is you get on Google right now during the podcast, Google the news, look at the top 10 stories. And I can assure you that on most days, the primary theme is men entrusted with power and that power mm -hmm. bringing harm to themselves and those under their care. See, mm -hmm. the issue isn't the power. We were meant to rule. We were meant to yield and wield power for the good in love. But when it comes out of an immaturity from a lack of initiation, from a heart that isn't in God, we use that power for self rather than God. And so becoming a king is simply the path and process of recovering what it means to become the kind of person as a man or as a woman, that God delights in entrusting the care of his kingdom. Well, and that's the thing that we want men to understand. We have a saying around here that when a man gets it, everyone wins because men wield a power that I, I wish the younger, immature soul understood. A man has the power to ruin and bless lives. And this is a, a big issue uh, for us to understand as men that we have power over others, even if we don't think we do, we do. Yes. And our presence and how we wield that power can change the world, good or bad. Yeah. And Jim, one of the hopeful things about that is we ha also have a father yep. whose primary energy, primary interest, primary concern is shepherding our hearts into well-being, into maturity, into wholeness, in order that we can wield that power in partnership with him for all of creation to be restored. That's why Paul says all of creation's groaning. It's groaning. It's crying out saying, where are the kings? Because our land, our plants, our animals, our governments, our schools are hurting under boy kings. Mm -hmm. And God yeah. is looking for men to respond to the father saying, I got this. It's not up to you. It doesn't start with you. We live in a God-breathed world, a God-initiated world. And when we come to risk believing that God is the center and we have a place in his story, then our first act is responding and it takes off the pressure and it leaves so much room for grace for us to stumble forward. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, you know, you were talking about giving your son his iPhone. I want to fast forward, I'm assuming, a couple years after you've given the iPhone, and you tell a story in the book that made me laugh out loud, but really is the impetus for the chapter that really impacted me deeply. So okay. will you tell the story about your son's need for survival? Oh, yeah, this is great. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I was, I'm offering out of what I never had. 
And that's the promise of masculine initiation. Like my father is a really good man, but out of his orphan spirit and his poverty of childhood, he turned to career to answer that question. I am loved when I am successful and I make money. And he became a successful doctor and he wasn't around. He, he, he was providing, but he, it didn't answer my emotional needs. And so here I was a young married man, young kids, young career, passionate about God, but very uninitiated and just beginning to turn to the father and say, you are my father. I am your son. Will you father me? And so my son, Joshua, he's the firstborn and very conversational, very articulate. And we're just adventure after adventure together. We got to recover our boy. I got to recover my boyhood as he got to enjoy his. And I invited him into this gospel of masculine initiation. So one day we were driving in the car and, and I, he was in the back seat in a car seat and he had to be about three. And I said, Joshua, what does a man need in this world to survive? And he thought about it for a minute. He goes, I know daddy. He goes, he needs a wallet and a cell phone. <laughs> Jim, it was beautiful and heartbreaking. Yep, right. Yep. It was beautiful because he was attentive. He knows no matter what else dad does or is or acts or offers, he always has a cell phone and he always has a wallet. And he knows whatever else is happening, he needs those things because he takes them everywhere. And it was so sad because in my soul, I realized, oh, son, what a man needs is so much more fundamental than that. And that was the beginning of this idea of a case for carrying a knife, right? And that being a manifestation of what does it mean to recover the whole heart of the man as a man? Well, you you continued in that in your book and you said, all that's required is a few clicks. Yet in this age of uber convenience, something inside us grows soft, atrophies and dies. And I just thought that was so powerful. Can you talk to us about technology and its negative impact on becoming generalists? Yes. Yeah. So, and this is so vital for every man to recover in his unique story. So I don't want it to be a caricature. And that's the danger is oh, yeah. it's about hunting and monster trucks. It's, it's simply not. That's just one more version of posing. But Yes. Every generation faces unique, very particular challenges, and every generation is given um, unprecedented provision from heaven to recover the ancient path, okay? Every generation loses the gospel, and every generation recovers it, and that's what keeps it from getting wacky. It's yeah. this pendulum that comes back and forth and left of center, right of center. And so the modern era that was kicked off by the Industrial Revolution something shifted mm -hmm. and when men left the work of their hands in fields we were a 90 to 99 percent agrarian culture yep. in the world and we lived with nature worked with our hands were dependent on the seasons depending on we were dependent on light and the industrial revolution ushered something in and it was specialization and it yes. fueled the world in this up and to the right more and more faster and faster right and that's what we live we live in an, a world where the rate of change is exponential so the change in the rate of change is exponential and it's careening 
up and to the right. And we all know that in the pandemic just put fuel on it. But here's what's happened is men became specialists. And so rather than having to cultivate the craft of masculinity and learn how to care for everything from a broken mower to a broken heart, we hid behind our gifting and became really competent at one thing, whatever that thing is. And yeah. we use money as a means of exchange. And, and masculinity took this shift, it was subtle, to lowest common denominator. And here's what happens is there seems to be benefits from that. We have a heart surgeon, right? We have antibiotics, we have technology that can bring clean water to many. There are many positive things, but one of the profoundly catastrophic, and I use that word really intentionally, catastrophic effects on the heart of a man Agreed. is atrophy of big parts of us. And the world needs us to be a man in our wholeness. And so parts have gone to sleep, parts have atrophied. And so here's what happens is when you trade money and you hide behind your specialization, you lack the very things that cultivate the whole heart as a man. And so I'll just give one quick story. So I grew up in specialization, right? My dad's a doctor and he became a renowned laser surgeon, really, really good at that field. And everything was outsourced. So now I'm married and I buy this little townhome and the toilet's broken. And all I feel inside is, oh shit, like freak yeah. out. I gotta call someone now. Right, and so now here's the dilemma. I don't have the money. I don't have the money to pay for a guy, but I don't have the skills to fix it. And I felt about four years old. And so here's the moment. It's not about a toilet, but I have a part of my domain that I don't have a fierce mastery over because my wife needs to go to the bathroom and I don't know what to do. And so fear, shame sets in. And so, you know, it's a long, this is pre-internet and YouTube videos, but it was going to Home Depot and sitting in the parking lot saying, God, would you father me? Would you train me? Would you? And I walk in and of course you got, give God an, an inch and he shows up with just a mile of feasting. There's an old man in the plumbing aisle and he said, he literally looked at me and goes, son, I can help you with this. This isn't a big problem at all. And the rest that my heart went into, the confidence in someone stronger than me. And so the point being is this question, where do you hide? As a man, that is one of the powerful on-ramps in this idea of becoming a generalist to say, what are you outsourcing? And here's the deal. There is a time to call a plumber, sometimes for some men, but you don't call a plumber because you've never engaged a toilet. You call a plumber because you have enough understanding of this device, this thing that you own. And as you discern and assess, you understand what God wants you to do with your time and energy and resources. That's fierce mastery. And so what happens is we have men that are entrusted with immense power. And in the boardroom, they may feel powerful, but their truck breaks and they open up the hood and the mechanic comes and all he feels is, holy shit. I'm four years old. Now you have the mechanic that's good with his hands, but he has to go to his daughter's play 
And she's crying after the words because she was ashamed. She forgot her line and he has no idea what to do. And so recovering the heart of a man is looking at the whole man asking, what's atrophied? Where do you feel fear? Where do you hide? And move in that direction. And that's where God will show up. Well, you know, you you said earlier, the world needs a man to be a whole man. And what's interesting there is you, you shared earlier about Jesus being lost in the temple. Well, the last verse before we see him as a full-blown man is Luke 2.52. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with both God and man. So you see this whole picture of Jesus growing into wholeness. Now, I want I want to, are you a college graduate? I can tell you, you are. Are you I a college am. graduate? Yep. Okay, yeah, so I am. I. am. It's all part of my story, but I am. Yeah, so am I. And all my sons are college graduates. And so I'm going to say this from a guy who's a college graduate and all my sons are college graduates. I, I was told as a young man by high school educators over and over the underlying message was if you weren't smart enough to go to college, your secondary option and lesser option was to go into the trades. Mm-hmm. So the smart people went to college, the dumb people didn't. And I realized that was a total lie. because, And especially today, I'm realizing that as kids graduate with their bachelor's degrees in massive amounts of debt, indoctrinated with a religion that I call critical race theory, with no real world skills and the inability to get a job out of high school that high school kids already have. And so what happened is we're, we're trained in the specialization, but then we can't use that thing. And this is why this chapter, The Generalist, impacted me so deeply. Yes. Not so much, and maybe I'm not, maybe I'm just simpleton here, not so much on a spiritual level, but man, we have young men coming out of colleges. We have young men coming into adulthood that can't do anything. And I'm one of those guys. I'm one of those guys. And so that chapter rocked my world. Well, let me challenge even that comment of spiritual because Eugene Peterson is one of the modern day mystics and fathers in the faith, right? He says this profound idea. He says, if something is not practical, then it's not biblical. And if something Ah, is not biblical, then it's not practical. In other words, all of God's kingdom is accessible to us and must have an on-ramp that's not reserved for a certain small group of elites. Miller Fuller was the founder of Habitat for Humanity, and he was a farmer. And he said the best theology he ever learned was between the legs of a cow where he had to milk it every day as a boy. Yeah. Right? Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's practical theology. My son and I are installing a wood floor in the house next door and we're doing a little remodel. And again, I was never initiated in that things, but I'll tell you what, to your question on technology, technology, I can take so many shortcuts, but in masculine initiation, there are no shortcuts. And I got my hands cut up and doing all these, you know, working too fast, working too hard, trying to take shortcuts because working wood on a remodel is very different than working in inbox, right? You feel the consequences of your mistakes. You get the reward and the satisfaction and the well-being of looking at a project and going, I did this. That is core theology to the Genesis model of ruling and reigning. And so my question to you even, Jim, is, okay, so this chapter challenged you becoming a generalist. And there's something that got um, pressed 
ruffled, right, unearthed. Yeah. Tell me a story of a time in light of that that you moved towards something that was exposing or uncomfortable or fearful as a man and you took a risk with your hands or your heart or a project where it was messy but you moved in saying i want to recover my whole heart as a man and and name an example big or small and what was your experience and what was the outcome oh man that's a that's a that's a tough question to answer i feel like i do that all the time so to go back and pick one is tough but i will tell you this we recently bought a second property okay and it's a it's an older property and it's a property that we're using as a place to kind of, we'll just call it retreat. And there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And so I've been praying, I've been praying on God, give me the ability to fix stuff. Yes. Because I was trained in specialization. I can write well, I can speak well, I can lead well, but I can't fix things well. I can't, when I hear you saying you're putting in a wood floor, I'm going, man, holy cow. You know, I'm the guy that picks up the phone call and calls a buddy. You know, I'm Dale you over are? here. We had to fit. I'm the guy who calls Dale to help me finish my deck, you know, yes. type of thing. And so but you, I realized you may be in this moment, right? Yeah. That's, yeah. this is your mile marker. But now the question is, what will you do with that? Right? Well, that's like, exactly right. How does that's that, exactly how will that affect you as a leader, as a writer, as a, as a king, when you have ha cultivated some mastery over this, this property, right? Well, that's it the will, key thing. Yeah. Well, the, that's what yeah, I'm saying. Like my, I'm a 56-year-old yeah. man. I'm a 56-year-old man who is really in tune with myself, confident in myself, love the Lord, but there's still ways in which I can grow. Yes. So, yeah, I can hang pictures. Yeah, I can hang curtains. Yeah, I can do certain things, you know, I can but but to go and build a doghouse or to lay down flooring or to pour yes. concrete Oh yeah, I can yes. help a guy, but I cannot do those things. So, so the chapter really inspired me. Uh, it really did inspire me. It, it caught me off guard. I wasn't expecting it in the context of the book yes. that you put this, what I would say, deeply practical and spiritual thing in there. But I'm, let me read you. Let me take my grandpa when I was 20 years old said, "Real men eat fast, drink fast, talk fast." But he said, which I don't, I've unpacked that as a lie. But and carry a pocket knife. So for the mm -hmm. last 30 years, I've carried a pocket knife. And so I loved your story about being a generalist and having a pocket knife that you carried as an object lesson to something deeper. In fact, you wrote this, a knife can be a, sp a physical expression of this spiritual reality. It's not as much about the knife as it is about what comes through the knife when it's wielded in strength and in love. You want to embellish? Yeah, it's a it's a physical expression of a spiritual reality. Yes. You know, I live in I live in a community with lots of young boys and my son's on the football team, lacrosse team for his school and immerse myself in adolescent culture where these boys are becoming men. And one of the things I'm passionate about of inviting them into in their initiation from boyhood to manhood is cultivating for them, with them, a fierce mastery over a set of three things, a set mm. of tools, a set of books, and a set of weapons. And let me unpack that for a minute. I believe that every wholehearted man should cultivate 
a mastery over some, a unique set of those three things of how do you wield those tools? How do you wield mm. those weapons? How do you wield those books in love on behalf of others, right? It's not about caricature. Those books could be very, very different. It's mm -hmm. not about bravado. And so there's something again about this, the Western world, the modern world that we have removed ourselves from the function of things. Like C.S. Lewis said, we remove the function, you know, and we demand masculine, masculinity out of it, right? It's a gelding, right? We, we, yeah. we, remove, we castrate the gelding, we bid them be fruitful, right? C.S. Lewis. Lewis, Lewis. Right? We cut yep. off their balls and we say, be a man. And so again, no bravado, no caricature, but a knife is a dangerous thing. A knife can be used for good or for harm. And when my little Abigail says, daddy, can I borrow your knife? And she says to her friends, my daddy always has a knife. Oh, friends, it's not about the knife. What she's saying is my daddy has a strength that mm. I need because he has it. He embodies it. I am safe. I am loved. Yesterday, I was in a conversation with my wife, and she was telling me about a horrific story of spiritual abuse of a Christian leader over a, a precious woman over time. And she turned to me in tears, and she said, thank you that our daughter is safe because of your strength, that she is yeah. not taking the question, am I delighted in by a man to other men? Because she knows she's protected. And yeah. I could just feel my knife in my pocket. And it wasn't about the knife, but it was a way to live out this curiosity with God of where is my frontier? And Jim, that is one of the fundamental questions of masculine initiation. What is the frontier of what God is doing? And so what I want to suggest is like your farm, part of you is 61 years old, right? That's what you said. You're 61, right? 56. I'm sorry, 56 years old, okay? You, you don't look a day over 30. So um, part of you is 56, okay? But as you move towards places where you normally hide, you normally outsource, you normally call Dale and say, hey, would you fix my deck? Is you move towards it and say, I don't know what to do, right? There's this beautiful line, Boyd Varton says, I don't know where I'm going, but I know exactly how to get there. That is the heartbeat of masculine initiation. The next first track is saying, I don't know where this is going to go, but I'm going to move towards my fear. I'm going to risk courage and I'm going to try this out. And so it takes great wisdom and humility to lean into Dale, who knows better than you how to do it. But you say, I want to learn. I don't want to just have a deck. At the end of the deck, I want to have more of my heart back as a man. And so part of you is 56, but there's probably a 13-year-old or a 8-year-old or a 17-year-old part of your soul that lacks initiation. And so what the father does is he arranges for these moments and these contexts for the 13-year-old Jim that's inside the 56-year-old to have an initiation experience that's shepherded by the father, that's in the context of brothers to say, I know you can't do this and you will with me. And that 13 you know, year old yeah. gets to mature. Well, that's interesting that you said that 13 year old, I'm really starting to get angry at you right now because okay. you know, it's Good. funny. I One of the stories that comes to my mind is I just, I'm laughing. I really love to dive into myself. 
when I was about 13, my, my dad's a big fisherman. I've got a great dad, very close to my dad. But when I was, but my dad had a flaw. And when I was 13, this is one of them. He'd say, Hey, I want you to back the truck up the tray, the boat into the lake. Right. Well, I did a couple of jackknife deals and get out of the car. I'm doing it. And he never let me learn some of these tr yes. things because he was impatient. And so it wasn't until later on in life I was taught. Well, when I was 15, my stepdad ended up teaching me how to back a trailer, a boat into yes. the, into the lake. So it was really, yes. no, I wasn't 15. I was probably eight, 17. But what's interesting is now there is with some of these things, a fear attached that, oh, I can't do it. I'm just going to have somebody else do it for me. But yes. the chapter brought out in me this thing that said, hey, and I, I sensed this coming for the last six months once we bought this property, but hey, you, you are now challenged. You have to do it. There's yes. no one else to do it. You have to be initiated. You know, in your book, you said something really interesting on page 75. So this chapter was somewhere near the middle of the book. And I just love this chapter on the generalist. You wrote, but what if before we can ever walk out the particular expression of God in us. So that's important. The particular yes. expression of God in us, we must first walk out the general expression of God in us. Then you continued, being a generalist is the foundation upon which we then become wholehearted specialists, which goes back to you training your, your son and his buddies understand how to handle tools, understand how to handle books and understand how to handle weapons. Can Absolutely. you unpack that further? Absolutely. I mean, this is central to masculine yes. initiation in this age, right? We have lost the foundation. And so what we have, just look at Google news, right? What we have is men entrusted with power in real specific realms. And so you have corporate executives in the financial space. Like I know quite a few of them, they're brilliant. They are brilliant. Their financial IQ far surpasses me, but they're terrified to go home, right? One executive was telling me, I was like, what was COVID like for, for the execs in your world? He said, across the board, their wives are saying, get out of the house. It's not good having you. Okay, guys, it's so sad because in the boardroom, they're powerful, they're strong, they're wielding these certain weapons, but in their home, their primary domain, they're a boy and yep. their wives are having yep. to provide a masculine covering over the boy. And so the beauty of this is you have to go backwards to go forwards. You have to excavate to build. There are no shortcuts. Jesus said this in the kingdom of God. There's yep. no surefire ways to maturity and the world lies and says it's quick, it's cheap, and it's easy. Masculine initiation is not on sale. It's full price. It's slow and steady. But I promise you, when you step towards your fear, when you come out of hiding, I hired a handyman to help me install these at an attic fan in these gables. And I said, Skip, here's the deal. I will pay you full price, but I want to learn. And I have no idea what I'm doing. And I've not been on a two-story ladder, but will you let me work side by side with you so that I can learn? And he looked at me so sideways and goes, that's kind of different right? No one's asking that. 
No one's saying I'll pull you, I'll pay you full price and I'll learn. But I began to understand I lost my foundation and my, and my tree didn't have roots. And so it looked good until the storm comes, until the drought comes. And that's when I'm exposed for lacking roots. I want to have yeah. good soil. I want to have deep roots and I want to become the kind of tree that in the storm and in the drought provides consistency and steady love for those entrusted to my care. Well, this is so powerful to me, Morgan, because we live in a specialized society. You know, we really we do. do. And we're really we're just right. a click. Of, we're a click away from anything. My wife, totally. I, I had a roll of toilet paper or a package of toilet paper on my doorstep a week ago. And I'm like, what is going on? What, what is going on? My wife said, well, it was easier to order it on Amazon than go to the grocery store. I'm like, oh, are, are, is that what we've come to? And so, totally. you know, you asked this question in your book. And this is, a, I want the guys to answer this because I'm answering this as we speak. You said, what about you, man in the arena? What is your frontier that you're engaging in? What's what in your soul sourcing and connecting to the process of becoming a generalist? Now, I'm going to continue. On page 83, you said, the frontier of becoming a generalist is unique to every man. And that is so true from the boardroom to the rooftop. Yet equally daunting, equally risky, and equally rewarding in the process of restoring the masculine soul and becoming a king. Then you ask, or you ask men, what is your frontier? And so my question, Morgan, is, and, and this, listen, I love how you confront me in this book. What is your frontier? Every one of us has something awkward and uncomfortable, a place of incompetence. And then you just say these two powerful words, go there. Yes, please. Go there. Unpack it. Oh, and Jim, here's the deal is it's a practice. It's training and not trying. It's like practicing anything else. You do it bit by bit over time with kindness compassion and courage okay and so it's a two degree shift towards facing our fears courage is an exercise 20 seconds of insane courage is an exercise and a practice so i will go there i went there yesterday i'm driving my truck and i have five wildly loud teenage girls that i'm driving to attract me okay all I want to do is connect yeah. with my daughter. All yeah. I want to do is be in her heart, be in her world, communicate my love. And she is 14, going on 15, and has no perceived need for her dad right now. She is a teenager, and I am irrelevant. And I'm sitting there, and they're listening to some music that I would much prefer they weren't listening to. And I knew every song because I used to listen to that trash. And I'm going, and I bought them all Dutch Brothers, and they're pounding Dutch Brothers, and they're singing out loud. And I realize, I'm, I'm not here. I don't exist. I'm an Uber and a wallet, okay? <clears throat> and here I am all day long, Zoom calls, leading global events, on podcasts, counseling sessions. And now, the most important part of my day, I don't exist. Okay. And so Jim, what I'm naming is my question. My frontier is parenting my mm. oldest daughter. It's all question marks. I'm sucking at it, but I'm not giving up. 
and I'm not closing down my heart and I'm not going to fear. I'm choosing to risk and risk and risk again. And so my great risk yesterday was Holy Spirit. Am I okay with this music? Holy Spirit says, you're okay. Let it go. Holy Spirit, I'm an Uber and I'm a, I'm a wallet. And I just sense Holy Spirit said, that's exactly what's needed right now. Stay there. And so here's the deal. So a train comes and we're stuck at this train right before we pull in. So we have this moment of pause. And I turn around to the back seat and I look at these girls and I said, girls, I love my truck, but my truck is way better when you are in it. I couldn't be happier than I am in this moment. And Jim, every one of those girls has a story at home, some of which I know and some of which I don't. But in that moment, I got to risk love. And I just feel so much emotion in me in this moment because I've screwed up so many times parenting a daughter. Yep, I thought yep, I had to yep. figure it out with a son and it's a mess. But I'm not giving up. I'm moving into my fear. I'm coming out of hiding and I'm risking developing this part of me that doesn't know how to love a woman yet. You know, it's funny. I want to encourage you, man, because I worked with teenagers for 25 years and, and I've hunted. I killed my first buck at 11. I killed my last buck, two bucks in May. I mean, I've killed a lot of animals, many different species across many states. My first buck was actually in Colorado, first bull. And I have the, of all the places I've done, I've seen wild animals, the scariest, meanest animal I've ever confronted is a 14 to 15 year old girl. <laughs> and, and hey, listen, and, and listen, you, and the Jim. dumbest, and the dumbest is a fourteen to fifteen year old boy. <laughs> but I, hey, I want to say this. So good job, brother. Good job. I'm oh, encouraging you. you. Good job, buddy. Hey, but I do want to end with this question because I, in my brain, I'm playing out a situation in my head. I'm going okay because I know Eldridge and Wild at Heart. One question every man asks is, "Do I have what it takes?" So my question for you, and I want to find out as a generalist where I scored and you had a little list of things in your book, but I just want to give you, have you give me the top five or six things in your brain, like that comes out of your brain that a generalist needs to know how to do. And I'm going to see how I do on your test. So give well, me five okay, things so here, I need to know how to do. Here's where it becomes so particular yep. and so intimate, right? It's, it, I don't want to oversimplify it because here's the danger, Jim is every man will gravitate towards doing those five things and oh, saying, true. I got it. And then what happens is he disregards the actual place that God is beckoning him in his own initiation. So if I tell you every man needs to know how to work on his vehicle, well, here's the thing. If you know how to work on your vehicle, but you're still an asshole, that doesn't solve anything. Yeah, that's, okay. that's exactly right. Yep. And so I want to frame it a different way is what does God want you to become? And uh, what does it look like to become a man of peace, a man of joy, a man of sacrifice, a man of well-being, like literally a solid well-being, a man that's relaxed and unhurried, and at peace with himself, apart from any circumstances and any outcomes. That's what I'm after, okay? And now my question gets very specific, and I wanna leave our listeners with this, is Holy Spirit, what's in the way? 
What's next? Yes. And Holy Spirit, would you give me five things? Would you show me five things that I can do in my power to access the life of God that I can't control or arrange for in order that I can heal, grow the atrophied places, deliver the bound places, restore and mature the immature places. Show me my five and come and walk with me, God, as we do this together. You know, that's really good, Morgan, because I'm sitting here going, I'm saying to myself, I can't build a roof. I can't replace the my wife's transmission that just went out. I can't build a dog house. But you know what I can do? I can love a woman. I can mm-hmm. be engaged in my community. You know, I know guys that are multimillionaires who don't know how to love a woman and have failed over yes. and over again. So I agree with you. I think that's really good. We need to we need to be careful about putting it all in the same box because every man has to get better at potentially different things than the next man because we're all uniquely crafted by god but there is this generalization this generalist that god is calling out but that generalist depends on where we're weak and strong exactly and that's where it becomes intimacy right that's where it's not just a set of beliefs but it's an actual walk with god and that's where the father is at the center of our initiation. And so I think if I could leave the, the listeners with one more thing, yep. if we were to back up from the details, from the current crisis, from the current success or failure, the current inbox, and just ask the question, what is God up to? What is God up to? One of the primary things that God is working in our lives is recovering a path and process of masculine initiation. Mm. And so my invitation is to the men is what if I paused and said, if that was my orientation, in other words, that was my way of seeing, and that was my narrative arc. So I pause and just look at my life over time by decades and say, what is the story of my heart as a man and what is god wanting to do in my life to meet me right where i am and continue shepherding that process it will help us immensely as immensely as we uh, as we kind of discern what we say yes or no to and discern our posture of, of of trying to learn what god is up to in any and every situation it's so hopeful it's so intimate and it is so available man that that's so good and powerful and guys i really recommend you checking out this book i love that chapter in the book it deeply impacted my life and so morgan how can guys connect with you and your resources yeah, we're just getting started. Um, you know, becoming a king is really curated and distilled of walking with older men and seeking wise counsel to recover the ancient path over two decades. And so there's a whole body of work. Uh, it's all at becomingaking.com, but there's really a beautiful uh, podcast that's been that been curated over eight years that's just the slow and steady work of apprenticeship and becoming a king has a book it has a free video series you can do over six weeks it has a, a retreat um, study guide all of it is how deep do you want to go to recover the ancient path and yeah if things are stirring there are a ton of free resources at becomingaking.com and i would encourage men to dive in 
man, I appreciate it. Thanks so much for coming on our show and sharing your wisdom and uh, your thoughts from the book. I really did appreciate that. Guys, hey, listen, guys, what's the next step? What are you going to do because of what you heard today from Morgan? And I think a lot of you guys are going to really like this. This is a symbolic step today. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to start carrying a pocket knife. We sell a spring-assisted yep. one made here in Oregon by Kershaw. You can, you're more than welcome to get that or just go find a pocket knife, carry it as an object lesson that you're going to commit yep. to becoming a generalist and recovering your unique identity through this generalist principle in your life. Totally. Go. So it's a physical expression of a soulful reality of what God is bringing forth in the man. And guys, if you're listening to this, if that conversation on the knife intrigued you or enticed or disrupted or you're going, I don't even understand. There's a beautiful page, becomegoodsoil.com forward slash knife that has several blogs that really unpack the core idea and the heart behind it. So you can check out more there. Man, I appreciate that. Thank you so much for coming on our show, Morgan. Great to be with you guys. Really honored. Thanks. Let's keep going. For sure. Hey, men, make sure you head on over to our website at menarena.org. Grab your free copy of my book, Tell Them What Great Fathers Tell Their Sons and Daughters. And make sure you sign up to join one of our virtual teams that help you become your best version. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And be a man. You've been listening to the Men in the Arena podcast. If you hunger to be your best version, then join thousands of men from around the world in our Men in the Arena forum on Facebook. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of biblical manhood. Make sure to explore our website at meninthearena.org, sign up for the weekly equipping blast, and take advantage of our many free resources designed to help you become your best version of a man. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, Everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for around the world and find out the type of dad you are.